3 o'clock today. She was talking about the Bible study, but I was thinking about this, and I'll hurry. <laughs> but great news, great, great news. I, like Brother Chris, is probably similar background, homeschool family, all the other homeschool families you know about were praying for this day, and oftentimes maybe thinking never going to happen this inexorable tide of culture you know the whole they say the right side of history and everything well today we have seen one of the twin one of the twin pillars of neo-paganism in our land crack a crack that cannot be repaired and we know that both pillars will come crashing down in God's timing. Uh, uh, my heart rejoices in that thought that all this inexorable tide that you're always told about, about modern culture marching on and religion being for the old fuddy-duddies, it's okay for grandma, but we've got science and everything else. No, they're all wrong. And their culture, their system... Their humanism will come crashing down. So my thought this morning is found in Psalm 34, verses 15 and 16. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. We have a contrast here. And we've done a lot of contemplation this week on the first part of that. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The testimonies last night bore witness to that in our lives. We've seen that, we've felt that, we've rejoiced in hearing about this being true in people's lives. We talked about how it was even true in Stephen's life. He went up and gave, in my mind, one of the greatest sermons ever. And in that sermon, he went over the whole history of the world, from beginning to end. And at the end, he was killed. You think, oh, that's terrible. Oh, he lost. He didn't lose. As he was passing away... His eyes saw something much better than anything this world has to offer. As was pointed out, he actually won. He was a winner because he got to see Jesus and glory. And went on to something far better than the very best times he ever had in this world. So what I want to encourage you with this morning is the idea that These two contrasts are ever-present in our lives. Yes, we have people we can point out to now that we can say, they went through a really hard time and God brought them through it and God blessed them. But the truth of the matter is, God does that for every one of his children. Even if you're young, man, you say, well... I've never really tasted a bad time like that. 
It hasn't happened to me yet. You can rest assured, and it's written here in this chapter, that it is going to happen to God's children. When it does happen, God will draw nigh to you and carry you just like he has for every saint in the whole history of the world. So I wanted to go to a passage in Scripture that has both sides of this, this contrast. God being nigh to his people in time of trouble, and at the same time, people, maybe the wicked, are in a time of celebration, a time of great evil, and everything comes crashing down around them. You think of Samson pushing the pillars of the temple down. That was one of those times. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. That was one of those times with that contrast. We have another one of those times found in Matthew 28. Now that was a time like today in that God's people had a lot of information in the process. They were hit with a lot of things that Maybe you can't hardly believe was coming. I'm not saying today it was comparable to then in magnitude, but we're hit with that today. Something of great magnitude has happened, and it's hard to process it because maybe you thought it never would happen, or you just can't believe that it's actually happening now. But here we have Christ dead and buried. Now this happened after Christ told his people that this has to happen and that it's going to happen. Okay, so people hear that, it has to happen, it's going to happen, and now it happens. And they can't believe it. How in the world could this have happened? These people were despondent. They were at a low point. The, maybe the head knowledge that it had to happen. Okay. Christ offering himself as a sacrifice. Maybe there was some head knowledge there of that in God's people. But the reality of it happening could not find a safe lodging place in the heart because they didn't want it to happen. They wanted Jesus to just stay with them and to be able to have fellowship with them. And they would have been okay just going off to glory right then or staying on earth with Jesus forever and ever. That would have been great, right? No, no problems, no trials, no hardships. Just give me good times. That's what we want. That's what we think we need. God had a better way. And this whole Psalm 34 is about that better way. God allows hard times into the believer's life, which we've seen some extreme cases last night. 
to draw his people to him, to show them that they are not able in their own strength to handle the issue before him. The only thing they can do is cast their cares upon him and rest in the goodness of being firmly held in his hand. Here we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary going to the sepulcher. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. There is a contrast right there. There were guards there to make sure that nobody was going to come and steal the body of Jesus and then go around acting like, yep, he's resurrected. They had guards there to keep that from happening. What happens? There's an earthquake. Angel comes. Stone rolled away. And that angel has a countenance like lightning. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, or fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Sorrow turned to joy. It's like this morning we've experienced, in my case, 40 years of sorrow or whenever knowledge of abortion and the evil of it first pricked my heart and saw what this country was doing. And now we see it start to crack and start to come down. It will come down, but it's starting to come down even today. And sorrow turns to rejoicing. Here, that's just a small picture of this here. Verse 6, he is not here for he is risen. As he said, Jesus already told them that this was going to happen. And now the recall starts to take effect and like, wow, it really is true. The knowledge lodges in the heart and comfort and joy replaces the sorrow come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold he goeth before you into Galilee there shall you see him lo I have told you talked about skipping for joy earlier just a few minutes ago and now can you imagine They were trudging to the grave to do something they didn't want to do out of duty, out of obligation, out of love, but with great sorrow. And now that trudging with spices is replaced with the command, run, run to go see him, not trudge sorrowfully to go see him. But run with great joy to see him because he's alive. Baptism is a picture of that. 
first part of the contrast. Tell his disciples, and their sorrow turns to joy as well. And our sorrow today turns to joy as well. There's another contrast to that in here, though, because behind the guards that had a bad mission and could not succeed in it, there were evil men who gave them that bad mission that they could not succeed in. And imagine them. For three years, this enemy of theirs was laying waste to their whole way of life. Nothing they could do could get them away from this man. He would even raise somebody from the dead if it meant having some sort of victory against them. Think about that. He was doing things against them that nobody else could even do. And every single thing that he did was always against them, time after time after time after time after time. He even came into their temple and turned over their tables. And what happened? Finally, after failure of trick, failure of trick, failure of trick, failure of trick, finally they get him, and they kill him, they think. We know that Jesus actually sacrificed himself. They don't understand that. They think that they crucified him and they killed him, just like they get rid of anybody else. You kill them until they're dead, and then you don't have to worry about them anymore. Three years of failures, and then the ultimate success. This is way better than the Super Bowl. This is way better than any kind of victory we can imagine. They won, and they were celebrating. And in their celebrations, they set up guards just to prevent this crazy man's followers from doing some kind of trick. And the guards come back to him. Verse 11, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Wouldn't you like to have seen that? To hear them tell about the angel? Never seen anything like that. It's pretty crazy. Unbelievable almost, except it happened. So now they've got to take counsel. Verse 12, And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers. How are we going to explain this? How can we take this awful defeat that we've suffered and somehow at least make it look like we won? Impossible task. But they didn't have anything better that they could do. So they were stuck with this. Okay, telling the soldiers, verse 13, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. What happens to soldiers who are commanded to keep a body there and they fail? Somebody comes in and steals the body. Their lives are forfeit. They had to be bribed with large sums of money 
and a promise from these evil people. Verse 14, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. We will secure you. We will somehow protect you from being put to death for your failure. So the soldiers, verse 15, took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. They had a cover-up, and their cover-up failed. The contrast is complete. The contrast is perfect. The wicked were taken from a place of certain victory to unimaginable defeat, unassailable defeat, something they had no answer for and could do nothing against except look bad. And everything they did to mitigate the effects of that defeat made them look worse and worse. Glory, hallelujah. And the first contrast to that The disciples, us, all of God's children, get to see a risen Savior who resurrected himself from the dead. He sacrificed himself, offered himself to God, and then dead, he raised himself back to life. Amazing. Amazing things here to celebrate. And all of it pictured by the testimonies that we heard last night. Pictured by Stephen's triumph. Pictured throughout the scriptures, everywhere we look. God taking care of his people. God offering little pictures of the Savior's work. Here, there, for us to read in Scripture, for us to learn from others, and then for us to feel in our hearts as we go through them in our lives. That's my message for today. Thank you for your attention, and glory hallelujah.